0: Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at FitBod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabe Cast, as a relatively new dog owner, I can tell you I've now been baptized with the first awful feeling of that whole thing. Little Tucker went running off the grid. Details of his rescue in moments. Ron Thomas joins me and we'll talk about the Ben Hogan documentary on Golf Channel, Basketball Life and more. Plus pour one out for one of the OGs of Bristol, Connecticut, Bob Lee. Your digital dose of extra me is fresh and ready to eat. So buckle up and let's go. Here we go. Thursday, June 27, 2019. Thank you for joining me, and thanks for the download. Let's get right to it. Boy, oh boy, don't ever lose a dog. Now, I'll cut to the chase. We got our dog back, young Tucker, and by we, I mean my wife, who went to heroic lengths to chase him down, deep into the thickets and the brambles and the bushes of the acreage and beyond of where we live my god she uh she went after him good and got him finally i was i was just i don't say i was useless but i was slow on the uptake of oh god he's running away and he's not coming back so as you know we have uh we have a young dog by the name of tucker he's 2 plus years old coming up on 3 i believe a field spaniel. Just a little brown, cute, little, soft as a daisy. Rocket of a dog. He can really go after Frisbees. Great. And I am the Frisbee master. So I've got the Kong Frisbee, the the, the flexible rubber Frisbee. And I'll give it pretty much the hardest huck I can give from my porch and then watch him chase after it. And he can run down just about anything I throw to him. It's pretty impressive. Now... I get him back to me, and I've kind of trained him on this by having a little treat in my pocket, and I make him bring the frisbee back. I you know, put the frisbee on the ground. I say, stop, wait, down, and then I put the treat on the frisbee, and then he comes and he gets the treat, and that usually brings him back. Now, in this particular instance, it was a cavalcade of things going wrong, one after another, that led to this near disaster. The first thing was I was out grilling a piece of fish, And my wife was out there as well. And I go and throw the frisbee. Tucker goes chasing after it. I didn't have treats on me. And I disappeared around the corner to go tend to putting the fish on the grill. Well, because I wasn't standing there holding my hand with the treat in the air, yelling, Tucker, all right, treat, come on back. He started smelling the country smells. You know, deer poop here, dead animal over there, who knows what. And so he starts roaming around the 10 acres that we have. Okay, let's not panic. He'll come back. He's done it before. Starts going further and further away, not listening to mom. Mom is out there trying to get him. I now go and get the bag of treats, and I'm shaking the treat bag furiously from afar, going, Tiger, Tiger, come here. Nothing. He then takes off running down the hill towards the far corner of the property, down where there's a stream And our neighboring property, which is waist-high bramble brush and woods. Oh, fuck. He takes off into the woods. My wife starts running after him. I, like, run halfway down the hill. I yell. Do you got him? She yells back with that panicked voice. No. I said, what do you want me to do? She goes, I don't know. At this point, my heart is in my throat, and I'm just going, oh, shit. So, of course, I had taken my socks off because I thought I don't want to get my socks wet on the wet grass while I go just out to the edge of the top part of the lawn to go get the dog back, and I'm in bare feet. Now it's full-blown panic. time. There is no time for anything. There's no time for me to go find shoes, get shoes, put sack, nothing, nothing. So I run into the garage, I get the golf cart out, and I go tearing down the hill into the brambles uh, in the golf cart with bare feet on. So if I had to dismount from the golf cart, I'd be really fucked. I mean, it would have been a nightmare of epic proportions. I go into the brambles, into the neighbor's property. Uh, uh, I can barely see the trail where my wife had waded through all this stuff. And luckily, I didn't get the cart stuck in a ditch. It didn't run out of battery, although it almost did. And I'm going deeper and deeper going, oh, my God. Of course, this is in the evening time. So we had a couple hours of daylight. But, you know, we don't have a GPS tracker on his collar. He really isn't trained as well as he should be to be off-leash running around the country like this. We don't have him trained to come to a whistle. It was bad. Luckily, uh, my wife, a good 800 yards into the neighbor's property, had somehow tricked him into coming back. I think she said the word dinner. That's the one word he responds to because, like all dogs, they, they've associated that word with, ooh, food. So she yelled out, Tucker, Tucker, you want dinner? And, and, and he came running to her. And she was able to then take her sweatshirt, a light sweatshirt she had on, and tie it around his collar as a pseudo leash. And that's when I arrived in the golf cart. And man, I have never been whew, so relieved as that. First time we've ever really lost the dog. I mean, big time lost the dog. And this is something that every dog owner goes through. And so I'd enjoy some feedback and some tips and everything. Obviously, we need better training. we got to put him back in dog school. Uh, we need to invest in a GPS collar. And uh, we're going to have to be more careful about, you know, where I play Frisbee with him and everything else. Just keep a sharper eye on him. I worry that now he's seen the, the big country. He knows it's out there. And he's going to want to go back there as soon as we get him out off leash, which could be a problem. I'm going to keep him on the leash, just take walks with him for about a week. Before we go back to playing Frisbee. And hopefully he's forgotten about the wild world beyond. But he's a dog. Dogs are going to do what dogs do. Oh, and I forgot to mention, this was the hell of all of it, is that the dog really is my youngest daughter, Megan's dog. That's, That's her boy. She's away right now at Spanish camp for the summer for at least the next three weeks, not for the summer, but for three weeks. And we have no communication with her either. It's one of those camps where it's like you turn over your cell phone and you are incommunicado. I'm thinking to myself, it'd be traumatic enough if we never saw Sweet Tucker again. And then I'd have to tell my daughter when she gets home, oh, hey, it's great to have you back. Yeah, where's the dog? Well, he sort of ran away. What? Well, you sort of ran away. We'll get another dog. Oh, the heartbreak. And I know what you're going to say as veteran dog owners. Remember, I'm a noob. We're noobs. This is our first dog. You think this is hard? You're saying to me, wait till you have to put one down. I know. I know. I'm going to gird for that day and hopefully we'll make it through couple of quick hitters. And then Ron Thomas swings on in to talk about basketball life. The Hogan documentary, which was on the Golf Channel. If you saw it, I think you'll enjoy our mini book club. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. If you hate golf, you can fast forward if you want, or or just listen. You might pick something up from Ron and I, even as uh, somebody who doesn't play golf. And then also, uh, I got one kicker story at the end, as always. Quick email, and I always like feedback, zabe at yahoo.com. This one from Ryan Brandt. Ryan Brandt, Not Ryan Grant, but Ryan Brandt. Zabe, I hope all is well with you and your crazy schedule. Yes, I'm fitting into the schedule, I think, quite nicely. I wanted to chime in on your baseball topic with Mr. X. As a former baseball fan, I actually enjoyed this topic, much more so than when you talk golf and NBA. I was a huge baseball fan growing up, but now at age 52, I find it extremely boring to watch. All the messing around between pitches is beyond ridiculous. Recently, I was waiting for a buddy at a bar, nothing else to do, and so I started timing the pitches. On one particular at-bat, there was a 26-second gap, a 34-second gap, and a 27-second gap between pitches, with absolutely nothing going on during that time. Well, I went back on a lark to the 1984 Jack Morris no-hitter against the White Sox on YouTube, the uncut version. And I timed it 12 seconds, 16 seconds, 14 seconds. This is the biggest problem in and on the field. The product in baseball, in my opinion, is too damn slow. People say, but what about all that time between plays and football? I counter with, well, at least they show you replays of what just happened, making those 40 seconds between plays go down not so painfully. Not only that, but there's at least a play, even a boring three-yard dive, is more exciting and more interesting and more nuanced than a pitch that is two inches out of the strike zone called a ball. I know that the NHL, by the way, Zabe, doesn't move the needle for you on a national level, but I really do miss you talking hockey. You have a great knowledge of the game, and I was actually happy for you last year when the Caps won, because that meant more hockey talk. Anyway, I'm just disappointed that Tom Wilson had to win a Stanley Cup. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Ryan Brandt. Well, thank you. I know just enough hockey to be dangerous. I know it from having played street hockey as a kid and going to Caps games a lot and then by playing a little bit of rec league hockey. I don't keep up on it as much as Scott Lynn does these days. I don't know any of the advanced concepts of it, but I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough to be passionate. I know enough to watch these guys and go, oh, fuck, was that an amazing play, but it's a a tough sell to the casual fan. In fact, I don't think there is such a thing as a casual hockey fan. There was a story that a lot of people are snarking on on Twitter which I think is funny. A woman who claims to have married a 300-year-old pirate admits they are now breaking up. Ard, yeah. It just didn't work out, matey. <laughs> people are weird. And there are weird fetishes and weird love affairs. And I've seen the episodes, the the TV shows about weird addictions and whatnot. And maybe this was a genuine sort of thing. It might have just been a cry for attention or, or a work to get internet famous for five minutes. Who knows? But there was a couple of good responses. Uh, one was, they'll miss each other's booty, but in very different ways. Aha! And then there was respect my piracy at this time. (laughs) I like it. It's a play on words. It's a pun. It's well done. All right. With that, we say hello to our man, Ron Thomas. Hello. Hello, Ronnie boy. Hi, Steve. Got your uh, theme music playing in the background. Unfortunately, my, my machine does not feed music down the line. That's all right. You'll I hear it. You'll hear it when step. you. When you, I know. You'll hear it when you uh, do your narcissistic re-listening <laughs> of yourself on my podcast.
1: <laughs> Very rarely, but uh, on occasion. I'm just kidding,
0: man. You're, you're entitled know. to do that. I'm at the point now where it's like, Jesus, if I hear any more of me, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> I hear myself live for six hours a day plus the ZabeCast. The more thing, the last thing I need is to listen to me more. But anyway,
1: good to talk to you, speaking Ronnie. How of are that, you, do, speaking of that, do you ever get tired of talking? No. You don't? I at mean, home? I mean, it, what's it like at home? I mean, is well, there ever, why aren't you talking? And do you say, <laughs> well, because I, I don't I've want to. I've talked enough today?
0: Yeah. Uh, no. No, I mean, I, I you know. No, it's really not. Th- it's really not that. Um, I mean, I guess there are times. It's it's more the the talking is not. It's it's just the sleeping. You know me, Ron. Uh, you and I are, are are brothers from another mother. We're soulmates in a way. In that we are we are romantics, but we're cynics. We're also very fascinated by the world around us, and we're fascinated by people, and we're fascinated both you and I by things we don't know anything about. And so, in such a world, it's not hard. To talk a lot or to ask a lot of questions of people because you you learn stuff, you know?
1: How about when you're in Milwaukee and you're going out on sales calls and meeting new people? Three a day, you said at times. Yeah. Uh, I know you're doing it for the sales call. and. I got, the- a,
0: I got a request from somebody saying he's a sales guy. He's like, I'd like to hear about some of those visits. Can I share one or two with you real quick? Take two minutes? Yeah.
1: Yes, that's why I'm asking.
0: Yeah. No, I uh, I met uh, a family-run business called Mander Collision, and they're a collision shop, and it's a father-son business, actually third generation. And the dad who I met with, who's really not involved day-to-day. His son runs the joint, and I should know his name cold. I think it's Gary. Uh, but the father was really cool. I got to talking to him, and I was asking about his business, and I was genuinely curious on the sit-down about, okay... My question was, you're a collision business, but why advertise? Like, people crash their car, and they got to go get it fixed, and they go to the phone book, and they just start thumbing down like, okay, what's the one nearest me? And then I go get a couple estimates, and I'm done. And he explained, well we do this now we do that and we do smaller repairs that people might not fix on their car that's not crucial to how your car runs and we could do it affordably and we do this that and the other and here's how we differentiate our service it was interesting to me and then i started asking him about well how'd you get into the business and he chuckled he says well when i was growing up there was apparently no child labor laws <laughs> i go i go really he goes yeah i started working in the shop with my dad at age 12
1: sure and it's learning, just yeah. learning the trade,
0: and it's it's just fantastic. And he, you know, they're from Minnesota, and they're uh, big Twins fans. So we got to talking about the Twins and uh, Minnesota sports and whatnot. It was just it was a nice, wonderful meeting. And I went to another client sales call that was actually at an ad agency, and this guy Stephen Libby, who is the head of the ad agency, he is a trip man. He is he 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 runs triathlons. He's muscle. He's like he played he played semi pro football for fun. Okay. For fun, I
1: yeah. said,
0: "I'm like." So you played some football? He goes, "Yeah." And I go, "At what At what college?" He goes, "Oh no, just Just some traveling semi pro teams in the area." Mm-hmm. I said, "Get the fuck out of here!" He so, was probably
1: a great high school player, and just thought, "Why not?" I'll I mean, he's play a little bit more.
0: Yeah, he's totally great shape, and he and he and he talked a mile a minute. I mean, he came into that meeting jacked up, and so. He was talking about all these patents he has for slogans for his clients because the client that's going to be joining us is a uh, a law firm, Hartley and Pecora, and he was saying, yeah, I'm about to tell them what their their slogan is. And he ended up showing them their slogan that moment, and it was uh, obstructing injustice, you know, because huh. they're, they're former right. prosecutors turned defense attorneys that know how the system is stacked against your average Joe citizen. And so they want to represent them to give them a fighting chance to not get steamrolled by the system, obstructing injustice. And I said, and and this is after the client had left. I go, so did they know that was the slogan? And he goes, Oh no, they were learning about as you were. And I said, well, what if they didn't like it? He goes, they have no choice. I go, really? He goes, Oh yeah. He goes, I charge like 15 grand, you know, starting lowest fee. And that's if I'm just dealing with a small business. Then it's 30 grand if I have to go through a board of governors. It's 60 grand if I have to deal with a CEO. He said, I don't have time for this. I'm the one that writes these, I'm the one that knows how to position these companies. If you knew how to do it, you wouldn't be in my office right now.
1: That's right. And
0: I said, "God damn, that is fascinating." And he was talking about how he, uh, he and his uh, coworker, uh, uh, obviously very fit guys, and they go on whatever adventures. He's like, "I went scuba diving, and I brought up this twelve-pound lobster." And he was telling this tale of how it would flip <laughs> and it would drag him another foot or two below. He's trying to get to the surface with it and everything like that. And it was a, it was a great story. And as we were about to leave, I said to him, I go, "By the way, Stephen." Either I get a picture of that uh, lobster or that story never happened. And he laughed right. and he goes, don't worry, you'll get the story. But it was interesting that the the office they were in, Ron, was in this converted restaurant. It was like an old uh, bakery house or something like that. And it was a part computer shop, part ad agency. They did web design. And it was they had a whole team of people and their young people, working away just happily there. I mean, he employs 30 or 40 people. Mm-hmm. And he had a big cool. studio in the back that does uh, video work and everything else. And I'm I was just blown away. I was like, "This is fucking great." This guy and built this business.
1: And those are the kind of kinds of people that you have always enjoyed meeting. Like when we go on golf trips together, Pinehurst, or when we have caddies, you always seem to find that find out things about people that otherwise wouldn't be known because you ask questions. And when people find that you're genuinely interested in them. They tend to open up, and people have so much to offer. Now, I have two things to say. One, my father, the criminal defense attorney, is you know what criminal defense attorneys are known as, oh, Liberty's, yeah. La- Liberty's last champion. That's a good and- one. Ding ding yep. ding. Yep. And two, um, you know, people being an Indiana boy, I always have to get that in there too. Ding 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 ding. Yeah yeah yeah. People think that. Middle America is just you just A fly over and seeds. you look down and you think, oh my god, it must be boring down there. <laughs> there must not be much going on. They have no, no fucking clue, I tell you. You go to Naples, Florida, and look at the homes there. These are second homes. You go to uh, Lake Charlevoix, Petoskey, up in upper the UP or up near the UP of Michigan. These are summer homes. Uh, You know, my my friends and the the successful people, one of our members, George Callis, just went to the Crooked Stick member guest, as he does every year. He's the guest of Mike Milliken, Millican, who is a uh, an attorney in Indianapolis. And he comes back. We were just hitting balls together on the range today. And he looked at me, He had this Crooked Stick old school hat with the rope and the high profile structured front. And an old patch on it, like the old, uh, oh, gosh, I forget oh, what yeah. those old like ones Amana, would have been. Like the Amana Rainer Range hats that they yes. would
0: pay pros to
1: wear and right. give and them free free looked, appliances. Yep. <laughs> and he looked me right in the eye again, and he said, I love where you're from. He said, the people are the <laughs> nicest people in the world. And he said, in that golf course, and you guys do things the right way. But no, you know, like uh, what who uh, Bill Mayer, what did he say? You know, they all want to be us you know, us Hollywood types. That's bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. Not going to get political, but the the middle America is the, literally the backbone and you are not going to find more kind and uniquely interesting and warm people than you're going to find in the state of Wisconsin and in the state of Minnesota and in the state of Indiana and right down the line. Well, you didn't Iowa. mention,
0: didn't mention Illinois.
1: I was going to go right down the line, then <laughs> I kind of went, I, I just, kind of yeah. went over and up a little. Now Illinois, the same, the same, but they have Chicago, so sometimes I skip over. That. I know, I <laughs> but know. Chicago is such a great place. I mean, too. Well, just, anyway, I'm you just know, so the glad bottom. You get to experience all that. Uh, you know? I was,
0: I was humbled, and hey. I was I also. Here's the other thing, too, is you know, I'm on these sales calls, and there's usually the direct account executive, and there's the sales manager that are with me. And I'm sort of the show pony. Like, hey, this is this guy, Zabe, and here's his new show. And some people know me already and love me. Some people kind of know but don't know anything. Some people are just like, I don't know this guy. But I'm there on these sales calls making sure I just shut the fuck up and don't say the wrong thing, you know? Because I don't want to blurt out something that, like, (laughs) sets things off on the wrong
1: note. Yeah, maybe a little East Coast cynicism or something. Yeah. yeah. But it was
0: uh, was interesting because – uh, it, it was just interesting an interesting array of businesses that do a lot of different things. And Truthfully, I know that radio, and I know that I can help their business because I believe in the power of radio testimonial advertising that sticks with people, that helps you stand out from the crowd, and just the noise of here's an ad, there's an ad, that kind of thing.
1: Well, one other question about that: Do you think that these people are advertising now because you are on the air, and these men, these men, like this gentleman who owns the ad agency, is he? Although he's doing an ad for a law firm, but are the people who run or own the law firm fans of yours? And they said, "All right, Zabins on the radio. Yes. I want to get." Okay, see, yeah, the, the, yeah,
0: right. So, so I'd say seventy percent of them are love it, uh, yeah, love it. So, so yeah. So now, 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 pressure's on me to fucking deliver. No, no, Well, you pressure. just do
1: your thing. That's the eh. thing. You just be you. Uh, that's what they say. Just
0: be you. It'll all work out. Trust me. I sit yes. there and go, all right, I got to deliver for these people. I mean, these these are businesses that are giving us their hard-earned money to advertise to help grow their business, and I don't take that lightly. You know what I mean? But they want
1: you to be who whom you have been or who you True. have been. And so if you start going and changing, then that's not going to be what they want. No. So no. if you try too hard or get out of your norm – then it's going to be shit. We didn't ask for this. We no. want Zabin, the way, who he is and what he is. Right.
0: You got to try medium, so, as I like said. Yes try, yes. try medium and don't over try. So, before we get into the Hogan documentary, and it's unbelievable what I saw in it. Um, do you want to talk college World Series? You were just watching that.
1: Uh, yeah, but who it kind of it dudded out Vanderbilt. Uh, I just came upstairs to who take your call, and it was. I was rooting for Michigan just because what? they're, you know, one, well, they're one strike away from not even getting in the tournament against Illinois and they're trailing. They have one strike left and they, uh, but come you're out, a Hoosier. Win that game. You're a Hoosier. You uh, yeah, should but, look uh, at but, everyone in uh, Michigan
0: uh, as a bunch of unspeakable, no, he, you know, heathen scum.
1: No, not at all. Not, <laughs> you're not, not provincial a, like that. Not in the least, especially when, uh, you know, if you went to IU teams, if
0: you had gone to IU. You would be that way with Michigan. You wouldn't root. If Michigan was on fire, you wouldn't root for somebody to piss on them. Trust me.
1: I don't know about that. Really? I I essentially went to Indiana because it's all I ever knew growing up. You know, I went to every Indiana football, basketball game I knew. But I I was more rooting for these. You know, it's, it's hard to root against anybody in college baseball because these kids are out there busting their ass, and it means so much to them. But there was an entry, and you know how our conversations often come back to officiating. There was a third strike non-call in the fourth inning so bad that the pitcher, the catcher, the the infielders started to run off the field. Ball four, ball four, walks. Or actually, I think it would have been the third strike. Instead, it was called a ball. The next pitch was a ball, walked in to make it two to one, I mean, this was it was a strike. Was yeah, the, this... I guess the umpire called it low. This was tonight.
0: Oh, okay, because so there, two... there was apparently a blown call in game two. Somebody alerted me to that. Replay didn't fix, and I just uh, I just said marginal,
1: I just, marginal. Yeah. But this one, anyway, it was it was just a two to one walk, and then guess what? Next batter, bases loaded, right up the middle, scores to four to one instead of one one. That sucks. On in the dugout, up to bat, four to one. Done. So it was great. It, you know, it's it's a neat neat thing. I want to go to Omaha. I want to take my son out and watch it. um Yeah, he would love I'm it. Still, what yeah, one yeah, thing? I don't know about the aluminum bats. I still kind of wish they I wish they used wood. They uh well, you know why they don't, right? Because of money. Yeah,
0: yeah, they break a ton and they cost a lot of money. I, when I first found that out, I was asking why don't they do that. They said you wouldn't believe how many you go through and you wouldn't believe how expensive they are. And yeah. I said well, try me. And then they ran through the numbers. I was like, oh, okay, shit. Now, they do make composite bats that are not yeah. aluminum that respond with the same general characteristics of wood, but don't break. But I guess they have not adopted those.
1: Right. And another thing, that, you know, I tried to watch as much of the World Series as I could, but that whistling cocksucker. <laughs> Who is you it? Know about because this? I didn't name, watch his, it. Put it this way. His first name is Preacher. That's all you need oh, to know. God. He... It, well, Chris Child Childers, who I enjoy, he and Rick Neuheisel on uh, um, whatever it is on ESPNU, yeah, uh, I can I listen every day, and of course, I can't think of the name. He he's he lives in Nashville, and he before the College World Series started, he said, "Listen to me right now." He said, "There are two fans that come to these games, every home game, even go on the road, and they whistle nonstop. It's incessant whistle over and over, and the crowd responds to it. What does it to sound a like?" Point. <laughs> and then the cl- fans go clap 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 uh... and it's over and over and it, it's got so bad Steve that they were threatened at the college world series they threatened to throw him out but it became this big thing and of course the politically correct bullshit that we're dealing with in society you know well we can't throw him out it is so annoying it's unbelievably annoying and it goes on and on and on and let on me,
0: let me guess is he a white guy or a black guy He's a white dude. He's oh, a he black is. ass. Throw yeah, his ass yeah. out. I thought, I thought for sure you're like politically correct. Like oh, a no, 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 you're a black guy. You better not throw a black guy out of a game. No, <laughs> fuck him. I, I am it, of the mindset of we need more totalitarianism in our society where we're just going to say for the good of everybody, you and your little individualistic, whatever you're doing, enough already. You're bothering it,
1: people. It, Steve, it, it is an, an incredible nuisance and it is so annoying to watch this game because all you hear and i swear to you the announcers even sometimes in mid-sentence they stop talking and you can tell they're looking at each other like why why are we having to talk over this so That's anyway it goes ridiculous. on and on and on it's a bunch of bullshit but vanderbilt went. vanderbilt wins unless <laughs> unless something happened in the last bottom half in the bottom of nine but not likely the pitcher for vanderbilt the freshman is a beast he's the one who threw against duke he had 19 strikeouts and a no hitter i don't know if you know about him he's only a freshman i have Big, heard but, about him so uh, uh,
0: vanderbilt it. has won i just checked it online 4-1 your final
1: no it can't be 4-1 oh no sorry 7-2. 4-1
0: to force game three
1: that was yesterday yeah tonight was probably seven eight uh, two yeah okay
0: all right so, so vanderbilt your winner okay so um, Enough of that. all right well anyway there's that okay ben hogan documentary Where do I begin? First of all, I know the shape of the Ben Hogan story from the equally outstanding Back Nine at Cherry Hills HBO documentary that chronicled a lot of Hogan's upbringing and everything else. So there wasn't a whole ton of new ground plowed, but there was some new footage that I saw that I just, it blew my mind. For example, they showed Hogan hitting a shot out of what I swear was the fronting, the tributary to Ray's Creek on 13 at Augusta, from the mm-hmm. 1940s, and it was shaggier than a porn star snatch <laughs> from the 1970s. It was like all weeds and shit. Deep the- throat. Yes. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, I've never seen footage like that. You know, there was varying quality of the footage that they had been able to recover, and some of it was remarkably pristine from being from so long ago. And the other thing that blew me away was they had some instructional – footage and it's not video it's film of Hogan hitting shots both away from the camera on the range and then right over the camera at the range (laughs) and they are remarkably clear and they are in slow motion which at the time you would have had to run run film through your camera at an overdrive speed and that's how they did slow motion back Mm -hmm. in the day they basically jammed that film stock through there super fast. And it looks so gorgeous. And what I also noticed was how the ball curved upwards back in the day. Yep. It, would, it did. And then it would ski ramp up because of yeah. the how the balls were made and the clubs and everything else. Whereas today's game, it's a high-launch tumble off the face 330 yards in the air.
1: Well, Steve, I'll start by saying that the narrator was phenomenal. So kudos right off the bat for whomever it was that they selected to be the narrator. Okay, it's always important, you know. You've got like a Tom Selleck type. I don't know who did this, but he was great. But the way that the the piece opened up, the part one, and the way, and they they captured it right away by saying that what is it about certain people that makes them live on in infamy after their death or right. to you know to and that is something and you know again we all know about ben hogan but we didn't know enough about ben hogan until this was done what made him well, such
0: what made him such a driven man where well, did he a come
1: story. from? it says i mean it starts out with the blacksmith you know yeah, his, his dad father then,
0: yeah his father was a blacksmith right around the turn of the industrial revolution when the automobile was introduced and he suddenly couldn't find work because people weren't riding horses to work and didn't need shoes for their horses and so out of desperation he said well time to swallow a bullet and young ben found his dad
1: well uh, there's and that is up for remember the niece uh, the great oh, the great niece said it. that it was it was uh, she said it was her dad which was royal how about the names princess royal and then ben that is funny i thought those names uh, were interesting actor Kyle
0: Chandler is who
1: narrated Okay, well, he did great. How about uh older brother Royal? He quit school at what fourteen to to deliver office supplies? You know, we're doing whatever we can to, to help make ends meet here. yeah, and then how about Hogan is selling newspapers. He's nine years old. He's selling newspapers at the train station. and then a friend of his that he's that he knows is caddying at this club, Glen Garden Country Club. And the course is seven miles away from where the Hogan family lives. So what's Ben do? He walks every morning. He walks seven miles so he can get there early, get the first, be guaranteed to get a bag, double loop whatever he could, carry for, a newspaper, keep it, a 20, newspaper with. Was how it a, twenty-five six, cents? Sixty-five cents. Yeah. Which was he said? Which was double what he could make selling newspapers till midnight, and he would keep a newspaper because he was double dipping it sometimes. And he'd take the newspaper with him, and he if he got there before the course opened, he would lay down in a bunker, (laughs) and sleep in a bunker on a newspaper. Use half of it to lay on, and the other half to cover himself with. (laughs)
0: Unbelievable! You know, I I was uh, only half watching this first part, and I've got ten more minutes to go, but I caught the rest of the meat of it. The other thing, and I'm not sure if this documentary touched on it, but they did talk about it at the uh, on the back night at Cherry Hills. The most amazing part of the Hogan story is that he's struggling to make it on the mini tours back in the day, and he had 500 bucks to his name, and his wife Valerie, and he set out to go try to win some tournaments, win some money. And right before his final tournament, uh, that he was about out of money. And he wakes up. They come out of their little motel and finds their car jacked up on blocks. Tires have been stolen, all this other stuff. And Valerie says to him, well, maybe, Ben, this is a, a sign that it wasn't meant to be. And Hogan looked at her icily and said, I said, we'll play until we're out of money. <laughs> And they weren't yet quite out of money. And so they found some tires. They got to the next tournament and lo and behold, he won it.
1: No, you know, he didn't find tires. He got a ride from, uh, from Byron Nelson. Oh, he did. Picked a, okay. Yeah. That's the talks about that in the show, picked him up. And then shortly thereafter, he won 265. Uh, no, I'm jumping ahead. He then met the guy who owns the department stores, Um, you, you must maybe haven't gotten to this part yet, but the guy, this, this guy who opened department stores in Fort Worth and some surrounding areas, uh, was a member at the club and he enjoyed Hogan as a caddy because he, he could, uh, relate to his story, small guy, scrappy and long story short, that's where Hogan got his money when he, you know, each time he went back out on tour and they even had a letter, a copy of the letter that Ben Hogan wrote. So, so well-written and uh, asking, you know, uh, it's hard for me to ask this, but we had discussed it. Could you give me some money? And and he did. And yeah. uh, he went out and won $265. There's so many layers. We've got by two way, hours of this show. There's so many layers to this. By the way, how
0: yeah. great a move through the ball <laughs> did Ben Hogan have, especially <laughs> for a young guy. And even though sometimes the speed of film stock is deceptive because it's a little bit sped up, but you can tell he's cutting through that ball just ferociously.
1: The move left, the, the shoulders, the way that he unwinds first of all, how he loaded, <laughs> right. How he torqued and loaded, right. And then the way that the left leg posted and the shoulders turned and the way that the club and he had so much lag. That's what I didn't realize the, you know, the club is literally on, on the back of his you know, on his shoulder blades almost yeah. maintaining that angle and then firing left and then the story about how you know he was tired of hooking it the reason he was so small the reason he was hooking is because he learned in a long drive contest at the caddy tournament that he could hit it farther if he hooked the ball and ultimately they said you know he couldn't get his (laughs) forewood off the ground so he dedicated himself to weakening, weakening his left hand yeah and and he found the secret you know what's the secret was it the cupped left cupped left wrist or was it the right knee or what was it everyone would always
0: ask what was the secret you talked about and he's like the secrets in the dirt and they're like what does that mean and it was like (laughs) it means you got to dig it out of the dirt one divot at a time you know he talked about how yeah he talked about yeah go ahead ahead.
1: no you go no he just
0: talked about how you know in his one of his last interviews there that one that interview that they have the videotape of from the Byron Nelson. I forget what year that was. The last. Ninth, ni-
1: 1987. Yeah, 87. 30. You know, yeah. he
0: would talk about how, you know, some days I'd go out there and it would everything would be right and I'd I'd figured it out. The next day I went out and I did the same thing. Didn't work. <laughs> and he'd be like, then uh, I went back yeah. out the next day and went back to work. He's like, some guys might work two hours a day. I'll work eight. And the way he yeah. would say that had this oh, yeah. insane. The steely
1: eyes. Well, you hear oh. these, uh, these tour players, like Tom Byron and these guys, How about the story where uh, uh, Mark O'Mara says that he was hitting balls in front of him and he was nervous and he had just won a tournament over in Japan. He was playing some of the best golf of his life up to date and he turned around and looked at Hogan and he said, well, what do you think, Mr. Hogan? And Hogan said awful <laughs> as he's smoking his cigarette right right fax exactly. talking about hitting uh okay so much the, of,
0: there's so much of this i haven't seen we're gonna have to do a part two next week oh, I, gosh, yeah. I gave it a half-assed lick and a promise that uh, I was you behind. did that's all right
1: well but, well let me tell you let me okay, tell you this go ahead. i we were watching i was watching with my son winston's really good about if papa says you watch need to this. watch this he'll sit he's down 11 and, and he'll do it okay. and so we we watched it on Monday, part one, and sure as heck, we went out the next day and we hit, we played golf. He's, wow. you know, we woke up in the morning, pop, can we go play golf? I said, damn right, let's go. So we go out and this kid is trying like hell to swing like Ben Hogan. I mean, he's really trying to, oh yeah, yeah. Trying to create the lag and trying to swing left and he's already got a really good swing. So I'm like, shit, I don't want this Hogan documentary to mess up. God, <laughs> you know to mess up what's already good the but, other uh, the
0: other little things that i just uh, i took a couple mental notes that just little dumb things there was there was a great shot great footage of a stymie yeah where you chip had over a, had yeah. chi- <laughs> and hogan chipped over a guy from two feet like re- two
1: d- it reached in and got his ball and shook hands
0: <laughs> yeah like yeah. that's crazy to think i know the greens were slower back then but to have the touch it's hard enough to make a two-footer that's flat
1: and to make a two-footer chipping it over a guy. That was in the 46 PGA Championship when he beat Porky <laughs> Oliver,
0: Porky <laughs> Oliver. <exactly>.
1: Porky <laughs> Oliver. And the funny thing is is he beats him and he's shaking his hand afterwards and Porky's like, "It looks like Porky just won." He's so happy. I know. So they they cut to the trophy ceremony and Porky Oliver has his arm around Ben Hogan. Looking at the cameras, like, I just got my ass beat, and I don't give a <laughs> I don't shit. I exactly. I'm standing up here with Hogan. How, How about, about when Hogan? Janu- Don January said he he was paired with him, God, I forget, the last round of uh, maybe the Open or the Masters, and he said, I couldn't sleep the night before. He said, it was like playing with God. Yeah. That's what he said.
0: Yeah, that's I, mean, that's, I mean, Hogan and Bobby Jones, the only two golfers to ever have a ticker tape parade in downtown New York City. That's right, and, and that was and,
1: after he returned from Carnoustie in '53, I believe, after he won in the Open Championship at Carnoustie. That's,
0: that's another thing. So he won all these tournaments. The only one he really hadn't won was the Open. And a couple of pros are like, you know, to complete your legacy, you should really you need to win this one. He's like, all right, I'll give it a try. He goes over there, having never played in Scotland, never played Lynx golf, had to qualify while over there yep. for the event. Got. Very sick. Uh, it was rainy and cold. Was wearing two cardigan sweaters. They didn't have the moisture wicking Gore-Tex back then. No sir. And nope. first time he ever saw Carnoustie, maybe the one of the hardest golf courses on the planet, just blows to a win. Uh, plays number five, the par five, left of the bunkers through this narrow Hogan's Alley. He's like, "What's the big deal?" Boom! It's right there, and is treated did it like every a, day. Treated, every around. He did it. Treated like a god. Because they're like, oh my God, the legend of Ben Hogan. The crowds were amazing, and he gave this great speech afterwards about what a treat it was. And then Ron took a boat home. You know why? Yes, he
1: did. That's how you got over there back then. Yep. Ain't nobody the Wii, flying the, to Europe. The wee Iceman, That's right? What they the
0: wee Iceman, exactly. He yep. took a boat home. It's like, okay, you want me to go win this thing? Yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> and then yeah. I'll take a boat home. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Hey, and. uh the the thing about the 53 open also is the one of the reasons he went over there was because you know, the dates, I, I believe that the open ended uh, on like the British, the open championship, the British open ended on like the fourth. It didn't conflict. Well, it it can conf- snow. It conflicted with the PGA championship. Oh, that's right. It did. He yeah. didn't play in the PGA. And the reason why he chose to go over there is because the PGA, you were having to play 36 holes a day. And it was, it was too much play. on his, on
0: his legs too after much. the accident. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, so it was almost a little bit of good fortune that he did. But pretty you know, amazing. It, okay, a couple other how'd you likes real quick. How'd you like when he won the U.S. Open after his accident? As he makes the final putt, some dipshit on the side of the green sprints,
1: tries onto to get the ball. The green. <laughs> the most unbelievable shit I've ever seen. <laughs> My son's like, what is he doing? I said, trying to get the ball. It reminds me of the like the world. It reminds me of when Keith ja- or, uh, yeah, Reggie Keith Jackson. Reggie Jackson, it's the home run and those wackos at uh, Yankee Stadium are running around him, chasing him <laughs> around the bases, do you know? Yes. It's like that's crazy.
0: Jobs. And he wasn't the only one trying to steal the ball. Everybody rushed in. Know. They're like, let's
1: Did get you? it. Oh my God. And that's before the internet. These guys just wanted it although who knows they had all those old golf shops in uh you know yeah. over in Scotland where you could take it and sell it but, <laughs> so that uh, was
0: crazy there was another shot that made me laugh where i guess hogan is shaking the hands and after he won a tournament and i guess like the tournament director is standing like 6 inches from his face and of course he's burning a grit and he's got smoke just falling out of his mouth two inches from Hogan's face and, and I'm like
1: what is that dude but that's the 50s for you right it's it's just incredible and I t- I sent this picture of you but or to you but what was neat is in 51 uh they looked back on the 1950 season and it really for me it was emotional a little bit uh, my son is like uh, I keep mentioning Winston but he, he's my only child my best friend and all right he Ronnie. Said, he said, Papa, there's Grandpa. And I said, what? So thankfully for DVR, I took it back. And the headline of the newspaper said, The Thrills and Highlights of the 1950s season, or a sports season. And the, the newspaper was all about sports. And it talked about Hogan's 50 win, and my grandfather's picture from the 1950 Indy 500, him in his little flimsy helmet, His papier-mâché helmet, basically with his goggles, was right there on the front page. And I'm
0: looking at the picture, the still cap you sent me. That, Ronnie, the fact that your son (sighs) spotted that is so
1: amazing, man. But it's just, you know, anybody who cannot understand what the past means to us as people, and anybody who cannot have an interest in history and especially as it relates to sports and, for me, war. I mean, if you are going to go through the rest of your life blind to this and to yeah. these people and what they did and the sacrifices and the achievements, if you're going to live only today, that I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be a friend of yours. I mean, there's, there's, so, there's so much to learn. Yeah, and it's to, amazing. To learn about this man, he almost dies. He gets a, a head-on collision. Right. He d- le- jumps over, covers his wife. Luckily, the steering column goes through the seat. He would have been killed in 59 days in the hospital, two double fractured pelvis, fractured left ankle. uh, And the doctors are like, you'll you'll never walk again. You'll never walk again. he's like,
0: like, yeah, yeah, hold my beer. And then just starts at it. You went out. no, but then the. Hold on. Hold on. Cutting Uh, out. Shake your phone. Okay. Go ahead. Instead. Yeah. Oh, we got you. Now we're back. Go ahead. Oh shit these cell phones are the worst. Mm. I'm here. All right, try it one more time.
1: All right the vein
0: oh, unbelievable. these cell phones suck. they just totally I... <laughs> suck as <laughs> soon as on. you as soon as you start talking, it starts cutting in
1: and out. Maybe I'm talking too loudly.
0: No, I don't it's not that it's it's well it's...
1: they they okay I, they slide okay. the, they slide there the we go again. in.
0: hold on a second. I'm gonna call you right back. All right, this is, uh, we, we take this brief interlude to once again curse our telecommunications industry that is not doing their job. Ron's at home. I'm at home. This shouldn't be that hard, people. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Still, still skitterish. Do you have a home phone, Ron? <laughs> I have a good signal. Okay. So let me switch gears, and I'm going to do a proper watching of Hogan. I got to get you on record on a basketball front about these, this rumor that the NBA, not rumor, but the, the NBA is thinking about doing a radical reworking of the regular season for their 75th anniversary year, which will be 2021 and 2022. That would include a mid-season cup-style tournament, which I presume would be international in nature, and then some kind of play-in tournament uh, for the playoffs at the end of the year to spice things up and they're talking about to accommodate those things they're talking about shortening the season to perhaps as few as 58 games. Your thoughts.
1: I think it's a good idea. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you. I just can't good. believe you think it's a good idea.
1: Uh, I I mean, the reason I think it's a good idea is because uh, it were the the wear and tear on the bodies. That's what it has to do with. If they're going to have these superstars, they need them on the court. And if they're gonna beat their have them beat their brains, it reminds me of airplane when uh, Kareem's you, up. You tried
0: dragging Walton you, up and you, down the court for forty your, minutes. You tell a your night. dad
1: to you tell yeah. your dad to drag Lanier and Walt Lynn, up Walton up and down the court. That's right. <laughs> Listen, kid, I bust my ass every
0: night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but here, well, here's a couple things. One, I want to see the details of what they're planning. It's uh, from what I've read so far, it's very vague. Secondly. If you're going to have a cup-style tournament mid-year like soccer, I'm assuming this is going to be like Champions League where they'll get the champion of the Spanish League and the champion of this league, and they'll play the Rockets and the Spurs and whatever. How are you going to get these guys to care? Like That's the biggest thing. you got to get our players to care, and I have a hard time seeing them do that. The other thing is, why is it now we have to have load management Whereas Michael Jordan played 82 of 82, 82 of 82, 82 of 82 for as far as the eye can see. And he got shot out of the sky by th- three guys on at least a dozen drives every night.
1: Yep. And they're not, and they didn't travel in the luxury and style that they are now.
0: No. Now, some would say, well, Zabe, the athletes of today, their bodies are, are faster cars. They are more finely tuned Ferraris. And so more things break, more soft tissue, more connective tissue, that kind of stuff. You know, the basketball that you loved in the 80s, it's great and all, but it wasn't as strenuous as today's game. It wasn't as explosive. It wasn't as tough on joints and everything else. That's a theory I'm willing to at least buy to a certain extent.
1: Yeah. They, you know what else they might be fearful of is the, is players sitting out. Remember all that stuff? Those guys were sitting out a few years ago and like LeBron. They would still are. They know, still are, it's just been I given a would, name
0: called load management. So if yeah. you're load managing 20 games off out of an 82-game schedule, how many games will you take off of a 58-game
1: schedule? I know. Yeah, well, maybe you won't need to take any off. That's the thing. Well,
0: I'm, 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 I'm all for new ideas. I'm all for interesting stuff. But if I'm a league, I'd be very wary about ever giving up ground. This is a business, Ron. They're in it to make money. These players make insane salaries. Uh, I would not want to be dialing back the number of games voluntarily.
1: All right, but Steve, you know why they make insane money. It's not because of ticket sales, it's not because of sweet TV. sales. TV and jerseys. And those
0: eh, I don't eh, think the jerseys are a big pie slice. Well, I, could be I, I didn't mean
1: jerseys. I didn't mean jerseys. I meant merchandise. Oh, merchandise sales are gigantic. It's gigantic stuff. In Compared the NBA, to but, television. But it's TV. So uh, who uh, no, no, no. It doesn't compare to television, but it's a big part of it. But let's be honest, I mean who is watching a well, Pelicans now they might be watching, oh, I Zion, bought, but I bought the Pelican
0: who, package for next yeah, year. Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, who who's watching Portland and Denver at ten thirty at night? Uh, you know, here on the East Coast? Well, me. <laughs> right. But, but who really is watching it? And so, you know, maybe it's a state the product I don't, is getting stale. I
0: I agree. I don't begrudge how much they make. I'm just saying they've got a great league in which there's uh, they, they run the league on small rosters, 12 guys. They have a huge lucrative TV deal. That's great. They play a huge number of games, 82. So you carve that pie up by 12 guys, then random jabrones are making $7 million a year. Good for them. Yeah. But if I'm the league, Ron, I'd be very careful about voluntarily dialing back the number
1: of games. Yeah, there has to be a reason, and I'm looking forward to hearing what the reason is. Now, thinking about hockey, could you imagine? You talk about getting your ass kicked and getting your brains beat in and the, and how hard it is on a body. Oh, yeah. 82 games. Well, Brooks— you know they're not changing. You know why? Because they love to play hockey. Well, I've talked to Bondra about it. They, he he loved it. They love it. They love it. They're like kids. Yeah, Brooks they Orpik just on-
0: retired for the Capitals, and he said that in his final season with the Cavs, he couldn't walk up and down stairs on game nights, but he figured out a way to get on the ice and then <laughs> deal with the pain, and then he said he would just figure out after the game how to deal with it. That's how bad he was. He finally retired. Good for him. Ron, we are out of time tonight. As always, I love the visits. Thank you for your time and thoughts, and we'll check in next week, okay?
1: Thanks, Steve. See All right, you buddy, buddy. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: We can end on this today. Pour one out for Bob Lee, one of the OGs, one of the original gangsters at the four-letter Big Red Sports Network in the Connecticut woods. Bob Lee announced on Wednesday that he is quitting the network. Not quitting. He's retiring from ESPN after 40 years, and he does so with no malice in his heart whatsoever, and better yet, he does so without any health issues Uh, That could be uh, the reason or the excuse for it. I don't know if excuse is the right word, but here's what he said. Across 40 years, I've enjoyed a professional journey unimaginable when I joined ESPN on its first weekend of existence in 1979. By the way, his goodbye note on Twitter, (laughs) it's so on point. It's so Bob Lee. It's so brand perfect for Bob Lee. Each day since has been a unique adventure what I embraced for the challenge and unequaled fun of a job like no other. Now it is time for a change. I'll be retiring from ESPN as of the end of the month. To be clear, this is entirely my decision. I enjoy the best of health and the many blessings of friends and family, and it is in that context that I'm making this change. To Jimmy Pataro and his senior leadership team at ESPN, my sincere personal thanks for their understanding and patience over the past months. Through the decades and my innumerable experiences at ESPN, I have built many deep and fulfilling friendships. You know who you are. I hope you also know how much you mean to me. We have shared an American story, writes Bob Lee, unlike any other, and we will continue to do so in the years ahead. He ends by saying, it's time, as they say, uh, I've been gifted by our viewers and consumers with a precious commodity, Your trust. To be invited into your homes was a privilege I never took for granted. One I worked each day to uphold. Thank you for that. In September, I signed off my last show by saying, I'll catch you on the flip side. Now it's time to take that vinyl off the turntable, parentheses, ask your folks, flip it over and drop the needle on the B side. Hey, Bob, I think think everybody still knows what records are, even the millennials. There are always great cuts and hidden gems on the B-side. Thank you for a great run. I'm Bob Lee. Listen, I, uh, I like Bob Lee. I thought he did really good work. My only beef with Bob Lee is I thought towards the end, the last five years or so of his run there, he became too agenda-driven in their reporting. I thought they harangued on certain topics like the Redskins' name way too much. Bob Lee reportedly was one of the few Republicans, or at least conservatives, that were on staff at ESPN. I don't know if that's true or not. It doesn't really matter to me. But I just thought that towards the end, the constant haranguing on both the Redskins' name, concussions, and other agenda-driven issues kind of turned me off to outside the lines. They did a lot of other good work, though. And they had to fight, I'm sure, a hell of a battle because under the previous regime, the coke-snorting John Skipper regime, he was totally in bed with all the properties that they had the rights to, the NFL, the NBA, et cetera. Bob Lee and his like couldn't dig too hard or too deep on certain things that would make those entities look bad or in a negative light. But if this is not a health thing, if it's his decision If he said he really enjoyed the job, he just wants to do something else, I think the question has to be asked, which is, so why? Why now? Is there no more reporting to be done? Surely there is. It's a new day at ESPN where Pataro seems to have an understanding of, hey, some of the shit we were doing before didn't make sense and was no good. You'd think he would possibly stay. Unless maybe Bob Lee looks at the network and just shakes his head and says, jeez, what has this network become? Look at the low-rent, cheap-click, trash-entity ESPN is during the day. Sure, at night, sports center, Van Pelt Center late at night, quality, straightforward, good sports product. Everything starting in the morning forward, shit on a stick. Really? This is the best we can do? Maybe that's Bob Lee's thinking, John Aurand of Sports Business Journal told me today on the Steve Zabin show on the Team 980 in D.C. He said he thinks that Bob Lee was just weighed down by a lot of the staff cuts that had gone on at ESPN. The deep cost cutting in the wake of, oh, shit, we're overspending for everything. And people are cutting the cord and we've got to dial back. Perhaps there's another big round of cuts coming and Bob Lee just wouldn't feel comfortable being there while that all, all that goes on. We asked today on the show, well, what do you think he makes? Like, was he did he have survivor's guilt? Did he have salary guilt? What does he make? And Solly thought it was less than a million. I said, he Bob Lee better make a million dollars as long as he's been at the network and as influential as he is. He should fire his agent if he's not making at least one million a year. Somebody then, I guess, looked it up or they maybe searched it. Reportedly, four million a year, which I think is a fair price for a guy that does what he does on. Television five million for Beetle six million for Greenberg no those are complete waste of money but I think Bob Lee earned earned his salary there at ESPN so pour one out for Bob Lee and do your best animatronic Bob Lee I'm Bob Lee head up head to the side and down and the pitch goes up and I'm Bo- <laughs> nah he was fine on the air a little bit animatronic at times but not terrible. That will do it for me today. Thank you for downloading and for being a loyal subscriber and evangelist for the Zabecast. Tomorrow, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you $1.33, give or take. I think I'd love to have you on on board for Fridays, but I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to shame you. Shame. Shame. You're shaming me. Just kidding. If you want to subscribe to Fridays, be a subscriber to the Zabecast to get all five days. Be my guest. We'd love to have you uh, go to uh, Zabe.com or the Cast and subscribe. I'm not even sure how you do it. You'll find a way. Email me if you can't do it. Otherwise, thanks for another great week of listening. Do sp- spread the word about the Cast, and we'll add more to the big family. Have a great weekend if I don't talk to you. And otherwise, we will see you next time.
1: Let me run rhyme and put your car on cruise and lay back because summertime.